Welcome to the Unionist Central Podcast. This is the introductory and first episode for Society of Reason series. The content of this episode will be explained shortly, but I feel it's essential to place a disclaimer here before I continue. This episode, as well as the entire series, are made first and foremost as focused episodes for the podcast, placed under the umbrella of Society of Reason. Podcast episodes are written and crafted in a certain way. However, that clashes with the secondary purpose of this series. It is meant to act as an audiobook of sorts for a larger paper, which I intend to compile using the scripts for these episodes at the end of this project. An example of this being a source of strife is how I phrase statements about my previous work. Is this being read or is it being listened to, essentially? So this discrepancy may appear within this chapter depending on the medium it is consumed. Additionally, because I want this series to stand on its own two feet, my references to the podcast as a whole will be non-existent, and although unionism as a term may appear, I have hesitancy using it. I wish only to outline the requirements for a society built on reason, and incorporating my own ideology, although I think it's a natural conclusion, may be off-putting. I can suggest what I think should be taken away from this series, but in my opinion, it's best to leave things more open-ended. Lastly, it may be noticed that I slipped the word chapter into this segment. From this point on, I'm going to be phrasing this series as a paper and each episode as a chapter. With all that out of the way, we can finally get on with Introduction to Society of Reason. This is an introduction to the content that will be covered in this series of audio essays. The core theme of the paper is this question. How do we, using logic, form a society as closely tied to reason as possible? It'll be in no way an exhaustive report, and will touch on the key features I believe are necessary in a society to prove it is structured in a way adherent to reason. Societies can exist with only a few or even none of these principles. However, to adhere to my definition of reason, which I will provide shortly, they should have structures not dissimilar to the ones I present here. As always, it is crucial to recognize I am not an infallible source. I have my own biases and goals, which can easily flaw my chain of reason. I believe wholeheartedly in what I will suggest in this paper. However, I cannot promise my beliefs are without error. They should all be examined and scrutinized. Lastly, although I have conviction that my takeaways are correct, as previously mentioned, it is entirely possible my conclusions are faulty. What matters is the principle that any society should be structured around the notion of reason. I am in no way an expert. This is simply a field of interest for me, and I do believe that I have a somewhat unique take on how ideal societies are made. I intend to use historical knowledge to present my theory on how societies have come about. I am not the only person who has proposed an approach, as I will mention later. So to get a more extensive understanding and see multiple points of view, I would highly recommend exploring other voices on the topic of societal construction. Without prolonging too much longer, I would also like to say one last thing. My definition of reason has developed over time, and it is my source of morality. However, as you will soon see, it only offers an outline of how to achieve morality, and what that would look like. It cannot and does not dictate what every action should be, and just because I suggest that this is how a reasonable society would look does not mean I am correct. It is only a theory. With all that said, let's move on. In Society of Reason, I intend to answer the questions listed within the table of contents, having each one be its own chapter where I will give my take on the question itself and certain sub-questions. 
I will additionally give my closing statements and provide a glossary of terms and concepts that will be brought up within this series. Upon completion of this paper, all terms I have used throughout its creation will be provided in the aforementioned glossary. I will also provide them when needed near the beginning of each chapter. To comprehend this paper, one must understand three main concepts on which the entirety of my theories lie. Morality, society, and reason. Morality is the state which we desire to achieve, society is where we will achieve it, and reason is how we will do it. First, morality. This is a term which I expect to generate considerable confusion. I see morality as a spectrum on which actions can exist. However, not all actions have to do with morality. Actions that aren't on this spectrum are considered amoral or not in relation to morality. Actions that are considered good and are on the spectrum morality are moral. Actions that are considered bad and are on the spectrum morality are immoral. However, morality can also be an adjective used to describe an entity whose actions sum up to be morally good. Additionally, it can be used in its alternative noun form, as something which can be possessed. If I were to say that I have morality, I do not mean I possess a spectrum of both good and bad morals. I mean I am morally good, or rather I possess strong morals which I deem to be good. I can already foresee great confusion being caused as this definition, although extensive, is quite convoluted. What matters is that morality and morals have to do with actions and beliefs. These can be good or bad. Being whose actions are morally good can be considered a moral being. However, this is a matter of perspective, and morals can only be really assessed on an individual and subjective level. In essence, a moral framework can suggest whether any given action is good or bad, that framework can be judged as a whole as good or bad by other frameworks, and individuals can follow their moral framework as though it was objective, even though it comes from a subjective point of view, so long as their assertions can be successfully argued as correct. It's hard to boil such a vast concept down, but the point is, when I claim the assertions in this paper are the correct moral framework, that assertion can only be true as long as it can overcome critique. This is why we look down upon those who repress the opposition, as it is an indicator that they do not believe their ideals can stand on their own. Let's move on. Each of us possesses abilities to commit certain actions. These abilities will be referred to as natural rights. We all possess these natural rights and can act on them at any time. However, others can also act upon us. So the conclusion of the natural right to commit violence is that others can commit violence upon you. A society is the collective of individuals known as participants who have gotten together and forfeited their natural rights in order to receive protective rights. That is to say, they have given up their right to commit violence in order to receive protection against violence. This is why we would look at a human killing another human as a horrible crime. But a shark killing another shark, or any predator killing its prey, as a simple fact of nature. Those animals have not engaged in a social contract that we are aware of. Just as we have not engaged in a social contract with a shark. Without that agreement, morality in large part does not apply. It's also important to note that the society is the collective, and the social contract is the agreement. This distinction is made because one can disagree with the terms of a social contract, without forfeiting their right to be in a society. I would now like to present my definition of reason, which is key to understanding this paper as a whole. 
Keep in mind, the goal is to create a society using the mindset of reason. It's important to recognize here that my definition of reason is different from the one found in the dictionary. This is because the term reason and logic are tied together very closely, and it is not uncommon to see reason used interchangeably with logic. This will not be the case within this paper. Logic is a perfectly fine term, and it has its own place within the vocabulary used to support this paper. Logic is a term used as a descriptor of an assertion which is self-consistent. What exactly does that mean? Well, we have already discussed moral assertions. This is just a different way of saying frameworks which are presented as true. A logical thought process is one that takes in a quantity of information, assesses that information, and makes a decision using said information, which achieves a desired goal. The action does not have to be a good one or a moral one. It is simply has to be an action which achieves a goal in an efficient manner. If I desire for a car, it is largely expected that it would be immoral to steal one from somebody else. However, in a vacuum, if there were no consequences or punishment for stealing a car, then there is a logical argument to steal a car. That is because it is an easy way of achieving your goal. This automatically rules out logic as a source of morality, which is what I am claiming reason is. A logical argument is not necessarily a bad thing. In math, it is often used to make assertions about our world. However, when it comes to an interpersonal relation, many things that are immoral can also be logical, as they come from a place of self-interest. Just because the argument itself is sound doesn't mean it leads you in the right direction. Logic can come from any point of view or perspective, which is what makes it different from reason, as I will soon explain. Before I do so, there is a point that needs to be made as to why many people who believe in reason as a source of morality have committed immoral acts, often used to make assertions about our world. However, when it comes to interpersonal relations, many things are immoral can also be logical, as they come from a place of self-interest. Just because the argument itself is sound, it doesn't mean it leads you in the right direction. Logic can come from any point of view or perspective, which is what makes it different from reason, as I will soon explain. Before I do so, there is a point that needs to be made as to why many people who believe in reason as a source of morality have committed immoral acts. Logical assertions don't have to be correct. They could also be based on faulty data, but they must be self-consistent. As an example, in math, there is an axiom known as the transitive property. The property states that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. That assertion that A equals C is logical based on the information given. However, this is reliant on the source of information being trustworthy. To say that A equals C, if that is what has been conveyed to you, is not in fact illogical, should the source be one that has trust. However, just because the statement is logical does not make it true. If A does not equal B, then it may not equal C, and there is no reason to believe that it does. The point is, logic is incredibly subjective. For someone who has justification to believe A equals C, then the assertion is logical. But for someone who does not have justification, such an assertion would be not logical. One who deviates from the social contract can logically justify their actions. This is yet again because logic is only a descriptor of in what manner one carries out actions and how those actions coincide with their goals. Reason, however, is something different. 
where logic is a subjective take, reason is the objective rule. In any given situation involving different people, there will always be a multitude of wills and desires at play. Within that situation, individuals can argue their mutually exclusive actions are logical from their point of view, and all be right. Even if all parties involved were granted omniscience, or in other words, absolute knowledge, of all factors at play, they could still logically justify their mutually exclusive actions. This is because they each have independent goals which are self-centered and can at times work against each other. Thus, a paradox arises. If it can be agreed upon, as previously mentioned, that morality originates from those who can make the best claim, that is to say, a claim that can withstand critique, and all parties involved can make that claim, which one of them is correct? This is where reason comes into play. Each party needs to concede that they are self-interested, and so the only way to reach a conclusion which should be desirable is to put aside that self-interest and reason through the problem through the perspective of a party with no skin in the game. If they can do this, each individual should be able to conclude that even if a claim is not in their best interest in the moment, it is the most reasonable course of action. This ability to arbitrate is essential to a functional human interaction, which I intend to prove is incredibly beneficial. If this can be agreed upon, then the goal should be to maintain a state of human interaction, otherwise known as a society. And to do this, there needs to be an agreement set in place. That is what I seek to explain in this paper, the course of action I deem to be most reasonable when creating a society. As a more condensed definition, reason is the process of removing oneself from a stance of personal involvement and taking action which can be argued as good without personal justifications. My explanation as to why certain beliefs and actions which are claimed to be reasonable turn out to be faulty is because reason is a process, not an answer. People are, of course, not reasonable by nature. Quite the opposite, they are self-interested, and although our self-interest leads us to reason, actions don't take place in a vacuum. We can't always overcome the many hindrances to reasons such as passions and poor mental states, amongst a myriad of others. Additionally, reason can be hindered by faulty knowledge or understanding of a topic as a whole. When working under false information, even with the best interests, one can believe and do horrible things. The best path to discover the reasonable action to do in any given circumstance is to think through one's own beliefs and biases and to argue, in as open manner as possible, why your beliefs are reasonable. This requires overcoming the tendency to get attached to one's own suggestions and look at things in as an objective manner as possible. To exemplify this, I would like to propose a simple situation. Children often find themselves playing games on a field or green top, and one of the versatile objects often present is the bouncy ball. A dilemma that can arise is when a ball is kicked far away and must be retrieved for the game to continue. Two people are playing the game, the one closest to the ball and the one who kicked it. Both have a justification for the other to retrieve the ball. It seems apparent to me, and I'll hope to you, that there is a logic in each of these justifications. In the situation, the way they would find the correct solution would be to assess their own reasoning and the reasoning of the other 
and try their best to remove personal bias so that the game can continue and enhance their own enjoyment. This is a definition that I will continue to touch upon in further chapters, but hopefully it will suffice for now.